phase is locked and ready to fire, sir. Illogical. Hello and welcome back. Floyd from Federation Radio. I know I'm a day late, but that's okay, because this week I've decided to do the special where we're going to do seven episodes, one a day, starting from today. So until next Thursday, there'll be a new episode every day, which is going to be good fun. Also, it'll help us get through the series a little bit faster, because at this rate, it's going to take a lifetime before we even see the end of season one. But anyway, today's episode, season one, episode six, is called The Enemy Within. And uh, it's a very... Very weird episode. I um, I kind of feel like if this episode had been made later on, it would just be a Mirror Universe episode, because it very much comes off as exploring your evil side, which ordinarily in Star Trek is very much a, you know, we would go to the Mirror Universe and we would directly confront the Mirror or, like, opposite version of these people. But this was, of course, before the Mirror Universe existed. But also, this is kind of a weird trope in both... I've noticed the last few decades, like, video games in particular like to have a boss or a challenge, like a spiritual or mental challenge usually, where you have to go up against your opposite and you'll see, like, a version of yourself that chose not to be the hero, a version of yourself that is evil and you'll have to fight it. That's kind of what this episode is. So, it starts off with them going down to a planet, which I don't even think they ever mentioned the name of the planet because it's ultimately pretty meaningless. The planet's just... Uh, a background thing. You know, there's a guy called Fisher, a geologist who slips on some kind of ore. He's like up on a, not quite a cliff, but like a bit of a ledge above where the main, you know, crew is currently exploring. And he slips down that cliff and he gets covered in this like yellowy ore, this powdery ore stuff. And he also hurts his hand on the fall and Girk says, you know, go up, go back up to the ship, get yourself sorted. So he goes up and he's okay. But there's a bit of an issue with the transporter when he goes up. It, Scotty describes it as almost like a power surge. They had problems. So after that, he's doing a little check. Everything seems to be working okay, so no one's too worried. And then Kirk, a few minutes later, is like, I'd like to come up now. So they transport him up. Now, they have a few problems where, again, it seems like the transporter is having issues. Then Kirk arrives, and he's got a bit of a headache, and he's not quite as confident as he normally is, he's sort of a bit out of it, but, you know, nothing too serious. Scotty just says, I'll give you a hand, come with me. Now, before this, there were two people in the transporter room. Scotty and his assistant, who I don't think we ever got a name for, but he had told the assistant, because of the power shortages, to go and get something to help him basically double-check the entire system and make sure it's fine. So he was out of the room currently, so Scotty offers to help the captain to medbay, make sure he's all right, and leaves the room unattended temporarily. Now, a few seconds later, after they leave the room, another transport comes in, but no one's there to observe it, and we see uh, Kirk arrive again, except this time it's a different Kirk. He's pulling different facial expressions, the completely different feeling from him. Even the music changes are much more tense. Like You can tell this is a very different version of Kirk. And basically, this is opposite Kirk, or evil Kirk, mirror Kirk, you would probably call him later, but he's not quite from the mirror universe, like I said, he's just opposite Kirk, this is, so basically, this is a story where he has been split in half, the one half, the half that Scotty is with, is currently in the med bay, is his compassion, his intelligence, his logic, all the things you would usually call good, 
the things that make him wise and a good leader or intelligent, all that stuff. But the things that make him strong, the reason he is in command instead of just being a science officer, is the other side of him. It's that strength that he has. Except because of this transporter incident, which I presume is caused by the yellow ore going through the system and causing the whole thing to go a bit wonky, there's now a duplicate. And he is the opposite. He is the strength. He is the like overconfidence, really. He's basically Kirk's confidence and strength without any of his intelligence or actual logical mind holding him back. So he's more like an animal. He's aggressive and he immediately... Well, not immediately, but he goes down to Medbay a little while after the other Kirk has left and just demands Saurian brandy straight away from the Doctor. Comes in, yells at him, I want Saurian brandy now. Refuses to even interact with Fisher, who's there. And, you know, Fisher comes up. He's like, oh, look, Captain, my hand's all good now. Used to Kirk. Normally Kirk would joke around with his crew and be like, oh, that's good to hear. And Kirk just leans against the wall, looking like he's ready for a fight. Me, just give me the Saurian brandy now. So, you know, he drinks, then whatever. Like, I don't think the doctor's too concerned. He's like, whatever, I just saw the captain. He was feeling a bit weird, he's got a bit of a headache. A few minutes later, he comes back seeming agitated, asking for brandy, and then leaves. Okay, captain's prerogative. If he wants to drink, he is allowed. This is his ship. But obviously, the doctor's a little concerned, so he calls up Spock and asks Spock to go check on him. Problem is, at this point, because the transporter room was unattended, no one actually realizes there are two Kirks on board. So they don't realise that this is a different person. Spock goes to check in on Kirk and, you know, says, The Doctor said you were acting like a madman, demanding brandy. Like, what's going on? And, you know, Kirk puts it down to, I guess it's a practical joke from the Doctor, trying to stir you up a little bit, Spock. Except, not long after that, we get a scene, a kind of disturbing scene, actually. It surprised me. It was, um, alternate Kirk, or opposite Kirk, whatever you want to call him, is... In Yeoman Rand's chambers, because Yeoman Rand is just, man, it's so sad that she got sexually assaulted, I'm pretty sure, by somebody from the crew, like, off-screen, because it seems like half her role in the show is just to be sexually assaulted all the time by every villain and person who's having an off day on the ship. So, just like all the others, opposite Kirk goes in there and starts yelling at her about how, you know, they've both been hiding their feelings and it's time to stop this, and basically starts assaulting her. I'm pretty sure this would have been a rape scene had they not wanted the, you know, rating to not go up. Especially the 1960s, a rape scene, I imagine, for a science fiction show, would have made your show almost unairable on screens. So, you know, instead of it turning into a full rape scene, it's a bit of an assault, where it's clear that's what was going to happen, and then Fisher opens the door. Well, you know, Yeoman Rand tries to escape, Fisher is in the hallway and sees what's happening, and she yells, Go get Mr. Spock. He tries, but then because he has to attack someone else, he's forced to run. So now you've got opposite Spock, um, opposite Spock, no, you've got opposite Kirk, now in hiding on the ship. Now during this assault, Yeoman ran while trying to fight him off, scratched his face, so he has these very, very deep, like, gouges inside of his cheek, which is how they now know what, what to look for. So Spock comes to Kirk's quarters, obviously really confused because obviously Yeoman Ran has just spoken to Spock across the radio and been like the captain was just in my quarters and tried to rape me for for a second officer 
you know, that, that's a pretty extreme charge to put against the captain. So he's come to see the captain like, you want to tell me what's going on? First, the doctor tells me you're demanding brandy. And then he holds up the bottle and he's like, this brownie, this brandy that was found in Yeoman Rand's chambers. And now I have a Yeoman who's telling me that you assaulted her or attempted to assault her. I need some answers. And Kirk's just as confused as, well, anybody would be. Imagine getting accused of something like that, something so extreme that you had no part in. You'd be like, what What the hell are you talking about? So, you know, they go off and they determine pretty quickly something's wrong. And then, you know, because they're talking to Rand and at first I almost feel like they're assuming she's lying because it's like, why would the captain do this? Like Spock, Bones, they all know him. They're like, this seems unplausible. Until Fisher comes out, because Fisher got beaten by opposite Spock, and he's in the back of Medbay, and he sort of limps his way out of bed to come forward and say, Captain, I saw it with my own eyes. It was you. And he says, are, are you sure? Do you know what you're saying? And he says, Captain, I know what I'm saying. You know, And then he gets helped to bed. But, like, that's pretty damning. And Kirk's very confused about all this and wants to know what's going on. Then they get a call from Scotty. And Scotty says that... You should come and have a look at this. We're having a problem with the transporter room. And there's a dog. <laughs> it's actually really funny. There's a dog, and the dog, it looks like a little, I don't know what breed it is, but it looks like a little dog where they've stuck a fake lion mane on it, a unicorn horn that is probably just tied around the dog's head, and two antenna to make it look more alien on its head, along with a tail that kind of looks like... I don't know, looks like a lizard tail or something. The dog kind of looks like a mini chimera of some kind, but he only has one head. It's kind of weird. Obviously, they were trying to make sci-fi up a dog. Like, this is the kind of pets you might have on a starship. They're not just dogs, they're space dogs. They never really even give the breed, like, a name. I don't really know. It very rarely comes up, but I believe it's Sulu's dog. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure it's come up before with Sulu. Like, I think this is a Sulu character, but, um... Scotty, anyway, they go to the transporter room and Scotty shows them the dog and says, have a look in that cage. And they open up the cage and there's a second dog in there that looks the same, but it's super aggressive. It's barking its head off. It's trying to bite him. And he's like, I don't understand. It's like, this dog is calm. That one's aggressive. We beam this dog up and then a few seconds later, another one appeared aggressively. And then all the cogs start ticking in everyone's head. It all starts spinning and all the light bulbs are going off. Everyone's realizing, oh God. The transporter, for some reason, putting aggressive duplicates, the captain has no memory of what's happening, and yet there are reports of an aggressive captain. You know, all the pieces are starting to connect on everyone's head. That, oh god, there is another person on board who looks like Kirk, has all of Kirk's knowledge, and is completely impossible to basically differentiate for most crew members. He's walking around with full authority as captain on the ship, and he is aggressive, not that different to this animal. And this is a dangerous situation to be in. And on top of that, because this is now happening with the transporter, they're unable to bring up Sulu and the other three men that are still trapped on the planet out of fear that this could happen to all of them. And then they'd have four basically psychopaths walking around the ship. Not to mention what medically could be happening to even their good selves, their calm selves, because... Splitting a person in two has to have side effects. So they're hesitant to bring them back up. And as they mentioned at the start, it's kind of a throwaway line, but they mentioned, oh, this planet gets down to like negative 170 or something at night. Like, cold. Below freezing to the point where humans would die. Like, they can't survive down there. 
So this is a problem, and this is now a problem with a time limit. Like, if we don't solve this problem soon, not only could the captain possibly die, but the crew on the planet, four men, are going to die if we can't bring them back. So, you know, Scotty gets to work, he begins trying to fix it and work out what's going on, and Spock's helping him out. And we've got this other problem where Kirk now basically has to do a command across the ship where he says, All people, be aware, there is a trespasser on board who looks like me. He can be recognised by the scratches on his cheek, have all phases set to stun, and all men are to carry phases at all times. Basically, the ship is going to yellow alert before yellow alert existed, and they're being told to look out for the captain. Now... I have to say at this point, this whole episode, while it's creative and I really like it, it's also kind of weird because in hindsight I'm like, well, I get you can't transport Sulu up, but why exactly? And it's never even mentioned, so I think at this point the idea of shuttles was just not in the vocabulary of Star Trek. They hadn't used one yet. But where the hell are the shuttles? <laughs> That's all I kept thinking the whole episode is Sulu and that are going to freeze down there. We can't use the transporter. There's no way to bring them up. It's like, yes, there is. Don't all your starships have, like, three or four shuttles? Send a damn shuttle down. I get it's slower than the transporter, and they prefer to use the transporter, but if the transporter's out, the shuttles exist. They are the alternative way to get to and from a planet. At the very least, you could send the shuttle down, and it has life support systems and could probably keep the crew alive instead of just leaving them in the elements. But whatever. At this point, I don't think shuttles existed. Uh, it could be a combination of things. I think it was a combination of there were no sets built, Back then, it wasn't CGI. These were actually models, and the models were not easy to make. So a model of a shuttle probably hadn't been built yet, and building one for a singular episode was probably too expensive. So they didn't have the capability to do it or a set to film in the shuttle, so they just couldn't use a shuttle. But that just leads to a lot of weird, like, in hindsight, when you watch the rest of the Star Trek, shuttles get used a fair bit, especially later on. Like in Voyager and Deep Space Nine, they're in shuttles all the damn time. They're in shuttles more than they're in actual spaceships, it feels like, some episodes. So, them not even mentioning shuttles as an option at this point just felt weird, but that's okay. They didn't exist. This was the early days. But anyway, so Sulu and then are continuing to freeze down there, and as time goes by, it's getting colder. At this point, Sulu's calling up like it's below 10. It's below 20, like negative 20 degrees. It's getting colder. They're starting to use their phases to heat up rocks, but at one point Sulu calls up and is like, yeah, one of the phases already failed. Three left running. Which is a sign that, yeah, the phases only have limited power. They can only keep you warm so long, and it's getting cold. So, back on the ship, we have the problem now, and they don't know what to do. They're a little confused about it. They come up with a theory that they think will work, where they think if they put both of them in the transporter together, both the evil version and the good version that it might be possible to recombine them through the transporter to restore them. So they attempt it with the dog. And, unfortunately, the dog dies. So, that sucks. It's always sad to see an animal die. But, like, the dog dies. So, now there's a question of, like, well, even if we could get the doppelganger of Kirk, if they just died, that's no help to anyone. And if they're going to die regardless because... As we see, the aggressive... No, sorry. I should go back. There's one thing that happens in between. So the other Kirk, Spock works out. We need to capture him. He assaults another crew member and steals the phaser. And they're like, all right, we can't have the crew out searching for him because everyone views him as the captain. This is too hard. I need to deal with this myself. 
So Kirk gets his phaser along with Spock and they go down to find him. Spock says, where would you hide? If the whole crew was looking for you, and with your knowledge of the ship, where would you go? And he says, I would go to the lower decks in engineering, and sure enough, him and Spock go down with their phasers ready, and there you go, he's down there, they have a bit of a confrontation that leads to Spock basically doing the Vulcan grip on his shoulder, Vulcan death grip or whatever it's called, when he like grabs them in that certain point and knocks them out. But as he's doing it to Evil Kirk, Kirk pulls the trigger. And the trigger on the phaser is not set to stun. His phaser was set to, I assume, kill, because his phaser was on full power. When it fired, as he was being knocked out, he blew a hole in the wall, destroyed a bunch of circuitry, which apparently was circuitry to the transporter, which just, like, my god, what bad luck. Of all the things to hit in engineering, he hits the transporter, the one system they're already having trouble with. But anyway, at this point, they've got the opposite Kirk, they've taken him to Meg Bay, it's becoming clear from the Doctor, he's dying. This is a, basically an animal, he barely understands what's going on around him, he's too aggressive, he's so fearful and paranoid of everything around him that he's leading to his own pulse and his own heart rate, everything is just dropping. Well, not dropping, actually the opposite, it's going too high, and his body is failing. And it's determined that, like, yeah, eventually he's going to die, and Kirk's you know, our Kirk is having similar problems where he's losing his ability to make decisions. He very quickly is finding himself being too agreeable because he doesn't have that other strength to him anymore. So when McCoy says, we can't put you through the transporter, let me finish the autopsy on the dog, we'll see what we can work out, what went wrong, and maybe to fix it. Because if you go through that transporter and die, that's no help to the guys on the ground. We won't be able to bring them up. They'll be dead anyway. Let me finish the autopsy. And he's sort of sitting there going, well, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And then Spock's like, Captain, if those men don't come back up soon, they're going to die. Every moment we waste without getting them up here is a moment that they might die. And then Kirk's like, yes, that 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 makes sense. I, I need... <laughs> and he's just going back and forth because he's lost his ability to really make decisions. Now, at this point, they ask him, like, do you wish to relinquish command and let us make a decision for you? And he says, no, no. I am still in command, and, you know, he tries to talk to them, and he says, I need a little bit. He sends Spock to go and have a look at the transporter with Scotty and to help him get ready for it, and he sends McCoy to finish the autopsy, because as he says, no matter what happens, that information could be useful. Now, during this period, opposite Kirk wakes up. Kirk tries to talk to him, you know, they have a bit of a conversation, and he lies to him. Like, opposite Kirk basically lies manages to convince him to let him out of the bed, says, I'm not going to fight you anymore. Let's go to the transporter room and see what we can do. Except that was a lie. The moment he gets unlocked, he pretends to fall on top of Kirk as if he's weak. Kirk helps him because he's a compassionate sort now. And he beats him. Beats him, steals his shirt, steals his phaser, heads to the bridge and tells the crew, the people on the planet are lost. The transporter won't be repaired in time to save them. Let's leave orbit. Which, immediately, of course, as you can imagine, even the, the guy on the helm is just like, Sir? What about our men? <laughs> like, you know, like anybody, he's like, what about Sulu? What about our friends on the surface? We can't just abandon them to die. But, you know, that's what he orders. And then a few seconds, and Spock's looking at him, like, you can see Spock behind, like, Sir, I thought we had a plan. And then the lift doors open, and McCoy walks in, along with the real Kirk, well, our Kirk, and a very weird moment happens where they're sort of both yelling, like, Kirk, 
Evil Kirk, or opposite Kirk, is on the bridge saying, we need to go, he's the imposter, grab him, and all the men on the bridge go to get up because their first instinct is to listen to everything Kirk says, except the other Kirk is also Kirk, and now there's this whole, where do our loyalties lie, what the hell do we do? We've got Spock on the bridge, and we've got McCoy on the lift, each of them sort of seeming as confused as we are, what the hell are you supposed to do? And then Spock says something that really confused me, and I feel like it's something that would only happen in the original series, because this no way would this be allowed to happen in any other series. He says, let the captain sort this out. Let them sort it out themselves, and basically he's just going to let them fight, or whatever's about to happen between them until one of them can determine leadership. Now, I could not see that happening in Next Generation, I couldn't see that happening on any other show. No way would the science officer on any of these other shows be like, yep, Captain, you're going to fight yourself, whatever you need to do. If you need to kill yourself, you do whatever. We'll listen to whoever wins. Like, no. In any other show, McCoy would have used his medical authority to take command away from the captain because I think nobody would question that right now his ability to command is more than questionable and needs to be removed for medical reasons. Spock would have then been put in command and Spock would have then made decisions for the crew to follow. That makes more sense, that's what they would have done on any other show, but not in this one. In this one, they fight. Very quickly, Kirk manages to disarm him and talk him down using logic and stuff. Like, you know, you're going to die without me, they're going to die without us. This is pointless, there's no point trying to take over the ship. But then there's this whole, like, tense scene of the other Kirk yelling, I want to live. Don't kill me. If you put me in the transporter, I'm going to die. I don't want to die. And he's afraid. And that's... You know, quite frankly, fair enough. That would be scary. The fact that the only person who's ever gone through the procedure is the dog that died. I'd be pretty damn hesitant to step into it myself. Especially if I was removed from all of my compassion and logic part of myself. I imagine the fear would be pretty intense. And I think Shatner played that role really well. Like, he really played both roles well. And he probably had a ball doing it. I think you can sort of tell, too, how much he enjoyed filming this. Because Shatner's one of those people that loves to overact. So being told, oh, on one side you have to be more compassionate and weaker and less decisive, and on the other side you get to be the complete polar opposite of that, was probably fun. He probably loved that. He probably had a ball filming this episode. And, you know, it shows. And that's why I think the episode still pretty much holds up. But, um, yeah, basically he talks him down. They go to the transporter room. The theory that Scotty and Spock have been working on about some phase variants or whatever to put them back together works. The theory that the only reason the dog died was because of the absolute shock and terror to its system. It didn't understand what was happening to itself. It was in utter terror, both its good and evil version. And when it went through the transporter, it was just too much for its body to handle. And as, they, as Spock says... I am part human and part alien. I wrestle with this all the time within my own mind. The reason I survive is because I know I will be okay. I am intelligent enough to know that, and so are you. So, he was right. They go through the transporter. Kirk comes back. He is himself. There is one Kirk when they come out. And, yeah, basically straight after. He's like, that works. Keep that phase variant and beam our men back up. And McCoy very quickly says, yep. You know, because we had been getting check-ins on Sulu and at this point Sulu comes back along with the others they're basically unconscious because it's so cold down there that by the time they get transported up they're all frostbitten and nearly freezing to death but as McCoy says they'll be fine bit of frostbite bit of time off little bit of heat 
and they'll be back to their old selves. No serious or long-term damage was done, so everyone's okay. Now, <laughs> it's a fun episode. There's a lot of weird things in it. It's, again, like I said, a shuttle would have fixed half of this episode's problems, but that's fine. Back then they didn't have shuttles, apparently. There's a couple of weird little things I noticed, like, um... Well, for one thing, the phases. Setting number one. Kirk ordered them all to be set to setting number one. Now, later on we hear them talk about phases being set to stun. Apparently stun is just level one. Now, I've heard them in summer shows, they talk about maximum stun, so... I'm guessing level 1, 2, and like 3 or something is still considered stun, but at past level 1 it might do nerve damage or something. And then after a certain point it becomes deadly. It's interesting that in the original show they didn't have stun. They didn't seem to have any of this sort of worked out, it was just setting number 1. Set for stun. Because they said multiple times, and I noticed Spock even says it very particularly, he says, Setting number 1, set for stun, not to kill, Captain. And he said that once or twice, like he was really trying to get across to the audience that yes, I have a weapon out, but it is not to kill. Probably because this is the first time we've seen them use the stun setting. Usually they're fighting actual aliens or like violent creatures and they're just trying to kill it or protect themselves. This is the first time we've sort of seen that phases can be used as a non-lethal weapon. Which is good, because most of Starfleet, you know, throughout most of the shows, that's what they're used for. Protecting the crew, protecting people, putting them... At sleep when they become a danger to themselves or to others and taking them to medbay. Uh, we also had the first mention of Saurian Brandy, which is a brandy that gets mentioned a lot. Interestingly, the Saurians are apparently a people who joined the Federation very early. Like, I tried to look it up a little. They were one of, not quite the founding species, they weren't one of the first in it, but they were one of the early add-ons. And it was interesting in the original series they mentioned them because Surians themselves didn't actually get to be put on screen, I don't believe, until Star Trek Discovery in like 2017 or something when one of the crew members is a Saurian. And they look kind of like uh, your classic grey aliens except they're a little bit taller and their eyes are a bit more like insectoid. They're an interesting people, but like the main thing we know about them is throughout all the series you always hear the mention of Saurian Brandy. It seems to be something that they make. Saurian Brandy seems to be one of the most popular drinks throughout Starfleet. And I thought it was interesting that here we are all the way back at episode 6 of the original series and we have Saurian Brandy. I thought that was cool. But anyway, um, I'm just looking to see... Yeah, there was a weird mention from Spock. There was a conversation between Spock and Kirk about... The captain cannot be seen to be less than perfect, which was why he didn't want to give up his command. He didn't want to have people see him as weak, and I found that funny. Because that's a very, very 1960s attitude. People wouldn't follow their leader if their leader was seen to be less than perfect. Because that was still the era of, you know, the Watergate scandal hadn't even happened yet at this point. Like, Nobody thought their leaders were bad. Back then, people legitimately thought that their leadership were good people and the corruption was mostly something from movies. It wasn't real. It was just a Hollywood mess. Of course, today, in the social media era, we know that almost every single politician in the world, no matter how good their PR team is, is corrupt. It's just, it's just the game. That's just how it is now. They come out with one statement and then a week later, you know, that gets screenshot and put up against another statement they make in the opposite because they flip-flop all the time. You know, this was an era where people didn't think like that. People legitimately thought their leadership had their best intentions at heart and were looking out for them, and that went for the military too. 
the idea of corruption in the military back then was like, no, of course not. Your commander cares about you and every one of your soldiers. And I'll say that's still true for a lot of people. But not always. Like, today people are more sceptical. Like, back then they had this idea in the show as well that if he was to be seen as less than perfect, the crew wouldn't respect him or follow his command even if this was all sorted later. Whereas today, if you got told your boss is corrupt or has been doing something wrong and has temporarily been put on leave because of it, most people wouldn't even bat an eye because it's just, eh, that's what happens when money's involved. Yep, yep, that's just the norm. It was really interesting. It was a part of that very optimistic 1960s view of the world that I wish they had been correct about, but unfortunately the modern day shows, they were not. And all the historical files and things that have happened since, they were not. But it was interesting, because that was the standard view back then. That is how people used to view the world. And I found that interesting from a 21st century perspective. Anyway, that has been Star Trek Enemy Within. A pretty good episode. Next, well, I was going to say next week, but no. Tomorrow, I shall be doing the episode Mud's Women. Which, if you know the character Mud, you know is going to be fun. Because everybody loves Mud. He's everybody's favourite slime ball, And to me, he's basically the character Quark before Quark. He's pretty much the Ferengi before we had Ferengi. You'll see what I mean later on when we do Ferengi episodes, but yeah, suffice to say, I'm actually looking forward to watching tomorrow. So, bye for now. I'll see you all tomorrow.